We've been in a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke called Faith on the Front Lines, and we've been exploring this certainty that we have in our faith in the Gospel of Jesus that really empowers us on our front lines. Now, most of us in our lives, we have things that um, we wish we could do better, but we've never really quite mastered. And one of those things for me is playing music. So when I see Fernando and I see the, the worship band and I see people play music, I'm in absolute awe of this. Um, I've tried playing guitar. As a matter of fact, I've bought a guitar probably about three or four times and then gave it away. I currently have a good guitar at my house that I do not know how to play. And right here is my brand new ukulele <laughs> that I purchased in October. And I thought because it would be easier for me to learn, and I took it out of the bag, I tuned it up in October, put it in the bag, and I haven't taken it out since. <laughs> now, I have two things against me. One, I really have no natural inclination towards music. It's bad, all right? My fingers aren't there, I have no rhythm. When we do the clap thing, I am always out of rhythm, all right? But more importantly, um, I really haven't fully embraced the learning process on how to um, learn an instrument. And so I'm ineffective at playing. Um, and it comes down to the fact that if I fully embraced wanting to learn an instrument, it would mean that I'd have to change things up in my life practically. There would be implications for me. And for whatever reason, I'm just unwilling to do that. And for many of us, on our front lines, we feel ineffective. And in order to be effective, it would require us to change some practical things in our lives. But for whatever reason, maybe it's the way we think, maybe it's a mentality, maybe it's an actual practical thing, we just haven't got there yet. And so we're really missing out a lot when we don't fully embrace gospel life. And as Christians, the effectiveness of our front lines require us to embrace the entirety of the gospel, which have radical life implications and applications for our lives. So the title of today's sermon is The Dirge and the Dance. So if you um, have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke 7 or in the back of your bulletin, you will see the scripture there. Now let me just give you a little context here. Jesus is in full swing with his ministry. He is, he is healing people. He's on the move. He's doing his thing. And we get to a point where John the Baptist is his his ministry is decreasing and Jesus' ministry is increasing. And John the Baptist has this, this point where he sends two of his followers to go talk to Jesus and, and, say, and, and to ask them, are you really the guy that we've been waiting for? And we see that, that John the Baptist has some sort of um, questions about that. You know, Jesus did not, was not the Messiah. Everyone was looking for. He was definitely different. And so Jesus... Um, goes and he addresses that. And then in Luke 29 through 30, which was just read, we see that um, the religious leaders, they reject the way of salvation through repentance that John is preaching. So they reject John's ministry. And then in verse 31, Jesus says, Jesus went on to say, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge. And you did not cry. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, um, you don't like us because we didn't get in line with your way of salvation. And no matter what we do, it's going to be wrong to you. And he compares them to spoiled children in the middle of a marketplace 
you know, crying the fact that Jesus and John the Baptist aren't, aren't following the things that they want to do. And so Jesus addresses this a little bit more, specifically uh, about the way of salvation that was preached through John and through him. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two aspects of this message that Jesus is talking about as he looks at the ministry of John and his ministry. And then we're going to synthesize these two things to some practical things that we could, we could take with us on our front lines to make us more effective. So let me pray for us and ask God to just bless our time. Father, we thank you for this time. Teach us the things that we do not know. We, we pray and we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to just open our hearts at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we see is the offense of the dirge. Now, many of you might be sitting here and saying, what is a dirge? Um, a dirge is a sad song that's usually played um, in a, at a funeral. It's, 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 it's supposed to be um, a song that's invokes lamentations, crying. And so we see that John, um, his ministry was very much like a dirge. And the dirge that, that John sang was quite offensive to the Jewish leaders. We see that in verse 30, 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So John lives this aesthetic life. He's very re religious. He's very, um, he, he denies himself quite a bit. And you would think that the religious elite would herald him. And they go, this guy's awesome. He's religious. We love him. But instead of heralding him, they rebuke him. And they make a judgment. They say, he has a demon. Which, in the culture, would carry this idea that he's just insane. And they have this reaction because they do not like the dirge John is singing to them. John is making it clear to them that we are all dead in our trespasses and sin. That there is none righteous in and of themselves. And any attempt to work out our salvation is just seen as dirty rags before a holy God. And no amount of working, measuring, or achieving will cure the depraved nature that we have in the human heart. And so what, what John is telling these religious elite is, he's saying, listen, the playing field is level. It's level. No matter, all the religious works mean nothing before a holy God. And you're just like the other person that you think is a sinner of sinners. And that doesn't sit well with them. He's making it clear that we all stand condemned and we deserve eternal punishment because we've sinned against a holy God. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I like melancholy music. Um, I like to listen to sad songs. I like to, it makes me feel something. And what I've noticed as I listen to sad songs and I listen to melancholy music, people hate it. They hate it. People don't want to feel sad. They want to feel happy. And oftentimes someone will come over to me and they'll say, man, you're like really ruining the happy vibes right now. And I think that here's John and he has this really melancholy dirge for us. And although it's offensive to the Jewish leaders, this dirge is also offensive to us. As much as we hate to admit it, we're not much different than these Jewish leaders at times. You see, we're always trying to unlevel the playing field before God. And we usually do this through comparison. Think about it. You go and you say, you know, I'm really not that bad compared to this person. 
It's usually in your closest relationships that you see this manifesting itself in. Usually in a marriage relationship, a, a, a parental relationship, whatever it might be. A working relationship. But we're trying to unlevel the playing field continually. And we're so hardwired to work, measure, and achieve to maintain this, this image of who we think we really are. We really, really work hard because we think we're this person and whatever it takes, we're going to ensure that, um, that we maintain that image. And we don't want this, this false person to be destroyed or our positive vibes to, to be diminished. And we see this mostly manifested on social media. I mean, oftentimes it's, it amazes me when I look at social media profiles and, and this false self people want to build up and yet they're totally not that person. And so when we're confronted with this, this dirge, with the, the depravity of, our, of who we are, oftentimes we respond like the Jewish leaders. We defend ourselves. We usually do that through blame shifting. I'm like this because of that, because of you, because of this. We blame shift. We deceive ourselves and others by this shame-fame mindset which attempts to normalize behavior. We usually see, we see this quite often where there's this behavior that's happening that's totally antithetical. We're, we're complicit in this behavior. And instead of saying, you're right, I shouldn't be doing this, we attempt to normalize it, diminish its implications in our lives. And at the very uh, pinnacle of it, it becomes something we, we become proud of. Probably um, one of the things that I would say that we see this often is in our anger. Right? Like, I'm not going to put up with that. And we demand our rights, and, and we, we move forward on that. Finally, we, we denounce others and God through personal attacks. We see here the Pharisees to John the Baptist. He has a demon. They don't want to admit it. We also see that they reject God. In the, in the previous verses, we see that they rejected God's purposes for themselves. They rejected God's way of salvation. And we do that as well. We denounce people. We denounce God's way that he has prescribed for our life. And oftentimes you say, well, Brian, I, I, I'm, you're really a downer right now. All right, here's the thing. This manifests itself in our prayer life mostly. I don't know if you've ever been there, but life is just moving fast. And you go to pray. And you, you're praying to God as if he doesn't know the things that you're doing. And you're sitting there, and you're almost like you're talking to him like you're talking to a coworker. You're like, yeah, God, um, you know, sometimes I struggle with stuff. Yeah? Sometimes, you know, I get a little, a little upset. And it's like very formal as you are in this intimate setting with God. And God's like, I know what's going on with you. Stop trying to uh, perpetuate this false self in front of me. I know you. I know the very core of who you are. And we do this often out of pride or fear or insecurity. And we, we miss the whole point of this dirge. The whole point is to understand that we are um, not sufficient in and of ourselves for our salvation. That we need a Savior. And the starting point to confidence and effectiveness on our front lines is realizing that we're so utterly deficient in and of ourselves to change our condition. 
And God is ushering us into this authenticity which we exchange this self-esteem and reliance for God-esteem and God-reliance. And he wants to break down this false self so we could spend more time developing this true self of who God has created us to be in Christ. Not what you think you should be or not what that person is, but what he's created you to be. And that starts with responding to the dirge in an appropriate manner, which is lamenting, repenting, and just getting real with God of who you are. And so I'm going to encourage you to waste time with God. I mentioned this last month. Waste time with God. Just go before him, warts and all. God, this is who I am. Stand before him. So that's the dirge. The second thing we see is the misunderstanding of the dance. Now, dancing is an expression of joy for most of us. Some of it's an expression of um, just how uncoordinated you are. And, but it's, it's, it's dancing, it's joy. And we see that this dance, this dance that Jesus brings, this dance of, of grace is misunderstood by the Jewish leaders. Verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and, st- and sinners. So instead of leading this ascetic life, Jesus is among the people, and he's, he's drinking and he's, and, and he's eating with them, and they call him a glutton and a drunkard, which was a capital offense in the Levitical law. So this isn't just like we're calling you out. Like there, there's a, This is a huge indictment. And they think that he's lax because he's not upholding these religious practices that they would practice. And they really don't think the people he's hanging out with deserve salvation. And they just don't understand this dance, this grace that Jesus is extending to, to, to them. Now, a couple years ago, um, Erica tried to teach me how to dance. She, uh, it was, I think it was the bachata um, it's, I don't know. It was horrible. All right. Um, I got the steps down. You know, you got the little rhythm thing going. I got the steps down, and like I'm counting in my head. Um, and it looked like I got the dance down. I was going through the motions. But I really didn't get it. And for m- many of us, that's really how God's grace is for us. We get it. We're going through the motions. We understand it. But we're really not feeling it. We're really not going with the rhythm of it. And this dance is misunderstood by us, and we we need a bigger understanding of God's grace. And there's some major misunderstandings that we have. The first misunderstanding that we have is that that God's grace is earned. And most of you will say, no, I I, I don't believe that. But it's interesting as a pastor, people, when when, when they usually, the first things they say to me is the stuff, the religious stuff they've been doing, like all week. Like, Pastor, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been doing this. And it's like, that's great. But it's, it's still this idea of, like, I'm working for my salvation. We see that grace cannot be earned. In Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So we're saved by grace, God's free gift. He, he moves us in from death into life. And out of a response to that, our, our proper response to that is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So out of, out of a, res, uh, a response to God's grace, which is amazing. So we deserve divine wrath. Yet God gives us grace in Christ. And so we dance. We're excited. This is amazing. And we don't have to work for it. But we work for God because we're so happy. On our front lines, we work for him because this is grace and this is sweet and this is amazing. The second thing I think misunderstanding is that grace is cheap. This is what their, their uh, issue is with Jesus, the religious leaders, uh, leaders. And I think we fed into that as an American Christianity. We see grace as cheap. Grace has been made cheap. Some of the fastest growing churches don't present the whole gospel. God is a life coach who wants you to be physically fit and he wants you to be successful at your job. But here's the thing. God doesn't call us to be successful or famous. He calls us to be faithful. And being faithful costs you everything. It costs you everything. And Jesus demonstrates that on the cross. He's faithful to the will of the Father and he goes to the cross. He's nailed to the cross for us, bearing the weight of eternal punishment that we deserved, separated from the Father for the first time in his life. It cost him everything. That's why Jesus tells us to count the cost. As we follow him, grace is not cheap. Second thing we, we or the third thing we see that a misunderstanding is grace could be taken away. I, I, I really believe, and I've heard someone say this, that the common psychosis of the people of God is this low-grade fever of having to do more. Like, i got to do more. i got to constantly prove myself to God that I'm worthy of this grace. Spoiler alert, you're not worthy of this grace. But we feel like it. We constantly feel like we have to prove ourselves to God. i got to do more religious stuff, or God's not going to be happy with me. And many people, many of us in this room, feel that God is disappointed in us. And when you feel like someone is disappointed in you, intimacy is destroyed. And that's where many of us sit. We don't have an intimate relationship with God because we think we have to prove ourselves. And that might be connected with something in our lives, with some of our earthly relationships. But this is what God says about you if you've put your faith in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4-6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We're adopted. We're adopted. Why? Because we're so lovable and cute and we did really good religious things? No! I just got to look in the mirror and know that. It's because God is that good. Finally, I think a misunderstanding is grace is impractical. Many of us have a narrow view of grace, that grace is just moving me from death to life, and it is. It absolutely is. That's God's what we call salvific grace. We are moved from death to life, and we are forever in Jesus, and we're saved. But his grace is bigger than that. And we're going we're gonna to come to the table later on 
where we, where we share in communion, where we will feed on the elements and, and feed on Christ and we are nourished with the elements that we eat, but also we're spiritually nourished by Christ. And there's a, a grace, an effectual grace. We feel something as that happens. And, and we also have the, these, these other aspects of, of grace in our lives, which I like to call sacramental acts. This is God just giving us his, his everyday grace and renewing his, uh, his promise to us. It often happens with, in relationships or maybe when you're enjoying a meal. The other day, um, Pastor John and I were having a meal together. And I were just, I'm enjoying our, our conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a beer. And um, I'm just like, this beer is really good. And I'm thanking God for it. Like, I'm dead serious. This is an act of worship. Like, I'm sitting there going, I'm thanking God for this. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the company that I'm having. I'm enjoying the conversation. And that's God's grace. And that might be something totally different for you. That might be when you look at your, your children at night. That maybe when you talk to your kid over the phone. That might be at work when you do a really good job. But that's God's grace. Being aware that God manifests himself in the ordinary every single day. That's God's grace. So in order to have confidence and effectiveness on our front lines, we must receive, experience, and extend grace. So I want to challenge you to have a meal with the person this week and pray before they come over. Thank God that he saved you in Christ. And then enjoy each other and experience that grace. Remember, it's, it's a gift. Finally, I want to bring these things together Embracing the dirge and the dance on our front line. So what does this mean for us? What's the practical thing you could take from this, Brian? Well, we must embrace the wisdom of Christ contained in the gospel as a way of life and be, be confident and effective on our front lines. We, get, we have to embrace the gospel. We see in verse 35, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. We need to embrace the wisdom of the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus and bring them together practically. And as we bring these things together practically, they implore us to make some changes. First, we need to embrace a clear understanding of the gospel as revealed in Scripture and preach it to ourselves every single day. I've said this before. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day, not the gospel that we make up, but the gospel that's contained in Scripture. We have to go and we have to say, God, I am a sinner. I deserved your punishment, but you sent your Son. And he lived a perfect and righteous life. And he was nailed to a cross. And he bore the wrath that I deserved. And then three days later, after he died, he was resurrected again. And when I put my faith and trust in him, I am resurrected to new life. And not only am I resurrected to new life, but you see me as righteous. Because I have the righteousness of Christ. And not only that, you're coming back. Well, I'll commune with you, and there's going to be this resurrection where we enjoy each other's company forever and ever. That's the gospel, and we have to preach it to ourselves every single day. And I'm convinced that we don't really preach that to ourselves every single day. We, we get to a certain point, and then we stop. But we need to preach it to ourselves every single day. We also must embrace the efficacy of the gospel and believe wherever God has placed us, he will work in and through us even though we can't see it. The, the, the gospel transforms everything. It transforms you and it transforms the space that God has called you to be in on your front line. Just because you can't see it and measure it doesn't mean it's not happening. 
God's working in and through that. You have to believe that when you're on your front line. I'm here. I'm a child of God. I'm extending the kingdom of God. And God is changing here because the gospel changes everything. So we have to believe in the efficacy of the gospel. We also must embrace our identity in Christ, secured by the power of the gospel, and stop hiding and avoiding and believing lies about ourselves. Some of us have an inflated view of ourselves, and I don't see how that's possible when when you go before the cross. And some of us have a really bad opinion of ourselves. And I don't see how that's possible as you go to the foot of the cross either, as you you are, are, are experiencing God's grace. When we look at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that as as Jesus descends in the water and he emerges, the Father says, this is my Son who I am well pleased. And because you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you are in Christ, and the Father says, you are my Son, my daughter, who I am well pleased. We have to understand that as we walk on our front lines. that I mess up. I, I do some really bad things, but I'm in Christ, and I can go before God, and he is still well pleased with me because he's well pleased with me with Christ. And since I'm in Christ, he's well pleased with me. Maybe not the things that I do, but overall, as a person, he's well pleased with me because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. We also must embrace a way of life together. Together. That models the gospel. As we celebrate the table today, this sacrament, this gift, is not just meant to be Um, exercised here. We take this sacrament of the Lord's table and we bring it to our front lines and we celebrate it on our front lines and as the church scattered. And so that's why communing with one another is such a big deal and being on doing life together. And we're in this thing together. Even when you're by yourself, you're together. You're part of the body of Christ. So we need to renew that sense throughout our week. And that's why really embracing the fact that you're part of a parish or a small group is so important. We don't say that here at this church because we're doing more programs. We're saying that because we want you to experience God's grace as you are the church scattered and renew that. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't even know where to get started at. Well, that's why we have Alpha. So if you're like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about with these things, I encourage you to come to Alpha. The point is, is, We have to embrace these things. We've been given all the gifts that we need to be effective on our front lines. Now, every now and then, I have my room upstairs. I look at my ukulele, and it's a reminder of what I'm missing. The joy of music. It really is. And this time tomorrow, you're going to be on your full swing of your day, on your front line. And instead of going through the motions and missing out on the fullness of what God has, my prayer for you and for us is that we embrace the gospel, the full gospel, by first engaging ourselves with the gospel and then others with the gospel and experience the joy of the dirge and the dance together as the people of God on our front lines. Let me pray and ask God to bless our... our, Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. You're good and gracious, God. You bring these polar opposite things of being sinners of need of grace and then you supply that grace and it's just, it's just unbelievable how we could have so many emotions as we come to the foot of your cross. 
I pray that you would empower us on our front lines, that we'd embrace this dirge and this dance, that we would not shy away from it, that we would stop facilitating this false self of who we are and just get real with you so that we could experience the fullness of your grace. So we love you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.